0: Welcome to Milton Bible Church Online. It's great to be together, even virtually, and uh, each and every Sunday is just a wonderful time to celebrate God together. It feels like I've been doing a lot of celebrating lately. Last weekend, my two sons came in from Ottawa to help celebrate uh, Mary's birthday, uh, my wife's birthday, and uh, we just had a great time together. Then two days later, it was our anniversary. Mary and I celebrated 36 years together. Next day was Canada Day, and uh, that was exciting uh, d- to have a day off and to enjoy uh, the blessing of the great nation that we live in. Also, with an announcement that Matt made earlier about a projected date of coming together, reopening at the Connect Center, re- reuniting as a church family on Sunday, August the 9th. That is the day that the elders have pinpointed a day in which we will come together for the first time as a church family. There are a number of things that we need to do to make sure that the place is safe, that we have policies and procedures in place to make sure that that is an enriching and successful day uh, for anyone, everyone. We want folks to really enjoy coming back and worshiping together. We look forward to the time of worship and word and spending some time together in the the name of the Lord Jesus. So these are days of celebration, and we look forward to what God will have for us in the days ahead as we return to a new normal. Uh, We have been looking at the book of Revelation And we've been studying the seven letters to the seven churches of the book of Revelation. This Sunday, we are going to look at Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. It is the letter that is written by Jesus to the church in Smyrna. So if you have a Bible, I would invite you to open it to Revelation chapter 2. And please follow as I read. Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11 says this. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer, Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for... This time that we have to spend in your word, and we pray as we look and at uh, this letter that was written to the church in Smyrna, we pray that you would teach us to be faithful, to know that you are here in the midst of all our difficulties, and as well, that we can count on you. So thank you, Lord. Speak to us and encourage our hearts, we ask in Christ's name, amen, amen. Well, in each one of the letters to the seven churches, there are basically seven different um, points that are made in all of the letters. Let me just tell you each of those points are characteristics of the letter. First of all, the first uh, characteristic is Jesus commands John to write a letter to a specific church. Next, there's a description of Jesus that is grounded in the Old Testament. Third, there's a commendation for what each church has done well. Fourth, there's a, uh, a warning or an accusing of the church of what they've done wrong. Fifthly, there's a calling to repentance, and the whole point of all of these letters is to call Christians and to call churches back into a a full love relationship with Jesus Christ by his grace and mercy. And then the sixth characteristic of each of these letters is that it encourages every church to heed the voice of the Holy Spirit, because there's no way that we can move forward in God without the presence and the power of the Spirit. And then lastly, uh, there's a promise to those who conquer in His name. Now, what's really interesting about this letter, it's a second letter, there is, in this letter, there's no accusation, there's no warning, there's no criticism. There's no accusing them. There's no rebuke of anything that they might have done wrong. Also, there's no call to repentance. So two of the seven elements that are in all the other letters are not in this letter. And it's absolutely vital that we understand that. This church is a great church. This church is a healthy church. This church is a faithful church. This church is written For a very specific reason. And the reason that Jesus writes a letter to the church in Smyrna is because they are under great persecution. And so Jesus wants to help them through it, he wants to help them in it, and he wants to prepare them for what is to come. And so, uh, one of the things that we need to understand is that true Christians will endure suffering at some point in their life, and maybe that suffering, or maybe that persecution, or maybe that, that trouble or trial comes from a family member, maybe it is in the workplace, maybe it is at school, maybe it's in the neighborhood, but w- from wherever it is, at some time in our lives, if we are living fully for Jesus, there will be repercussions from it. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're gonna hate you. And no servant is greater than his master. So understand, if Jesus suffered and was persecuted, so will his followers be. And the question that I have for you is this. How do we handle suffering for our faith when it comes our way? How do we actually handle Suffering for our faith when it comes our way. Well, in verses 8 to 11, that's what this topic is about. It's written to a great church that's undergoing persecution, and it's going to have some more sufferings coming, and Jesus wants to help them in it. So let's take a look at verse 8. Verse 8, even right at the introduction to the letter, is a great help. Verse eight says this, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Jesus describes himself as the one who died and came to life. Why does he give the Christians in Smyrna this description of himself? Why does he give that to them? Why does he say, this is who I am in this situation that you need to understand? He's very specific, and it's for a reason. Well, if you know about Smyrna, it's located on the Aegean Sea, and it, so therefore it makes it like a port town, a harbor town. It is an important town of trade and commerce and travel, and so it's really a town full of merchants. It's a town full of people passing through. It's actually uh, really the pearl of the of of. Asia Minor. And in fact, it's called the first city of Asia by many. Let me tell you a little bit more about it. Smyrna is Homer's hometown. I'm not talking about Homer Simpson. I'm talking about uh, Homer who wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey, the two great literary classics. Smyrna was known as a spectacularly beautiful city. It had straight roads that intersected at right angles. And you know what that means? It means the roads didn't just pop up all over meandering, they were planned. They were planned by city planners and they made sense. In fact, the main road uh, that was called the Golden Road, it ran through the center of the city from east to west. So it went right through the entire city, a nice beautiful wide road. It was filled with temples uh, of, uh, of worship and um, they say the, probably the very first temple on that road when you came to town was the temple of Zeus, which would be of course the greatest Greek god. Uh, The city not only contained the Temple of Zeus, but it contained large sports arenas. It contained the Acropolis. And understand this, the Acropolis, you could still go visit today, thousands of years later. Um, There still are the ruins of it. Much of it's still intact. Just an absolute architectural splendor. And uh, it was also a center of Caesar worship. So understand this, Smyrna was the city. It was uh, famous. It was beautiful. It was well-known. It was a a hotbed of commerce and influence and affluence. Um, Part of the history of Smyrna is this. In 600 BC, one of the neighboring states laid waste to Smyrna. Now it just it, they they came and they destroyed the city and for 400 years it laid in ruins, and when Alexander the Great and his contemporaries came through, they rebuilt the city of Smyrna. Um, 400 years later, so this is only about 200 years, uh, 200 and say 50 years before this letter is written. So in other words, it's a brand new city; it's been rebuilt. It is magnificent in its splendor, and it was known that came back to life. Smyrna was the city that was dead that came back to life, and its symbol was the phoenix, that which rose up from the ashes to become something incredibly beautiful and majestic. So it's important to understand where Jesus is going with this description of himself. He says to himself, I'm writing to you, Smyrna, and I am the one who is dead but has come to life. And what's he doing? He's writing to the city that was dead but had come to life. And what he's doing, what Jesus is doing, as he's using these words, he is saying that there is the city of Smyrna which was dead and has come back to life and is known to be radiant and beautiful and the first of Asia and there is Jesus, who is dead and who has come back to life, who is radiant, who is glorious, who is magnificent, who is a warrior king and savior of all mankind. And what is going to happen in this letter is these two entities, this city and its people, and this Jesus and his people. What is happening here is the Christians of Smyrna are gonna be called to make a choice. Who will you follow? Who will you be more like? Who will you give your heart to and your life to because if you choose to follow Jesus who is dead and who came to life, you will have persecution. But understand this, there is another way. There is another path. It is the path of least resistance. It is the path of following culture. It is the path of following the crowd. And it is, it is different. So as Jesus contrasts the city and people of Smyrna with himself, Christians will be called to make a choice. And the choice is this: Who will we follow? What choice will we make? Will we be cultural uh, you know, followers, just you know, chasing celebrities with their nose in our phone all the time, finding out what this one and that one is doing? Or will we be people who are seeking the Lord Jesus Christ, following him and saying, what is he doing and what does he desire? And each one of us is called to choose. Each one of us is called to make that choice. And that's what this letter is about, both to the people of Smyrna and to the people of Milton Bible Church. John chapter 11 says this about following. In John chapter 11, Jesus is talking to a woman, and this is what he says. He says to her, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he says to her, do you believe this? And she says to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. And you see, each and every one of us, we are called to choose. In the book of Joshua, the Lord says to Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve. Joshua says to the people of Israel, choose you this day whom you will serve. And this is what is happening here. Do you know, we've been doing church online for some time and I know that folks have been tuning in who may have never received the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior. And each and every time that I speak, I always want to give an invitation for people to receive Christ as Savior, to accept him as Lord. And one of the things I love about what Jesus says to this woman, he says this, he says, whoever believes in me, and everyone who be- lives and believes in me shall never die. So what he's, he, he uses two words. He says, whoever, and he says, Everyone. Now that is a pretty big open invitation for anyone and whoever, no matter what, to believe and receive in the Lord Jesus Christ and to begin a relationship with him. And one thing you're gonna find here is there's no caveats, there's no exception clauses, there's no, um, you know, there's no yes, but. It's whoever and it's everyone. And if you've never Trusted Christ as your Savior, I would encourage you to do that today. To simply say, I believe, Jesus, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, that you died on the cross for my sins, and I receive you as my Savior, and I will follow you as my Lord. Choices. Choices. I'd encourage you to make that choice today. One of the things that Jesus does in this passage is he, ta- he talks about those who are suffering and those who will suffer and those who choose to live fully for him. He says this, he talks about uh, giving a crown to those who are found faithful. Verse nine says this, he says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And I know the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not but a synagogue of Satan, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Now the first thing Jesus says when he talks to these folks and he wants to prepare them for what is ahead and to talk to them about what they're in, he's the first thing he says is, I know your tribulation. He says, I know what you're going through. I know because I stand in the midst of the lampstands, in the midst of the churches, I, the King of glory, the Lord of lords, and I know exactly what's happening and I am with you in it, and I am suffering along beside you, and I, and, and, I, and I will not leave you in the midst of all of this. And here's the deal. When you and I undergo tribulation because of Jesus, he knows. He knows exactly what is happening. Whether it's being criticized by a family member, whether it's being mocked at work, whether it's because you're honest and you lose a business deal or whether you're made fun of at school or in the neighborhood because you have chosen to love Jesus Christ and there are repercussions from that. There are little snide comments. There are hurtful things that are said. There are things even within your own family in which they speak badly about you. And Jesus says, I know, I know. I know this suffering. And I want you to understand that I know. Let me ask you a question. When people say that all Christians are bigots, how does that make you feel? How does that make you feel? Jesus says, I know and I am in the midst of these false accusations, and I know your heart is full of love for all humanity. And I know, and I stand in the midst with you. Jesus says, I know, because he wants us to know that he knows our tribulation. He stands in the midst of the church, he stands in the midst of our lives, and he knows our trials and our tribulations. Now, I want you to understand when the word tribulation is used here, it's not the seven-year tribulation that's described later on in the book of Revelation. It's the general word for tribulation and suffering that John often uses throughout his gospel and throughout his writings. It's a suffering for Christ that happens every day in our lives as we live for him. But what is Smyrna's particular tribulation? Do you know what it is? There are two things that are mentioned. The first one is he mentions your poverty. He says, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. And I want you to understand when he says that, he, he's, he's basically saying, I, I understand your poverty. And when he says that, he's talking uh, about a people of absolutely nothing people who have lost everything, people who don't have a roof over their head, they don't have food to feed their children, they don't have money in their pocket, it's not, when we say that, you know, we're, we're poor or we don't have money, what we're really saying is, you know, I can't afford to buy a new car, so I have to buy a used one when my clunker dies. Or I can't afford to go to Florida on my holidays, but I, I have to go camping at, you know, Glen Eden. Or I can't afford, you know, my Nike M- Michael Jordan, you know, retro $265 shoes. Instead, I have to go to Skechers to shop. That's not the kind of level of poverty that... Uh, John is talking about or that Jesus is talking about or that these people are living in. These people are living in complete destitution and poverty, having absolutely nothing. No food, no worldly possessions because everything's been taken away. Why? And here comes the second reason for the tribulation. Because of the slander of those who say they are Jews but they are not. You see, the Jews of Smyrna hated the Christians. They hated them for their belief in Jesus, and the belief that Jesus was the atoning sacrifice that brought peace between God and man. For the Jewish uh, leaders, that would be an abomination. That would be heresy. And so, uh, so so that that was part of it also, the Christian movement was growing and it was growing rapidly and so they saw Christianity as this kind of out of control sect that uh, was was promoting heresy and because they had influence in the Roman this Roman city, that Christians did not because the Jews were given freedom to worship as an official religion. While while Christianity had not yet gained that, it was still undergoing persecution all around uh, the Middle East. They used that to try and put out Christianity. And so um, one of the things that was happening at the time was in Smyrna, Smyrna was one one of the two centers for emperor or Caesar worship that was found in the area. So what would happen, what would happen is once a year, everyone in the city, all the citizens of the city would have to go down to the temple of Caesar and they would have to swear allegiance and, and worship Caesar as king and as God, and if they made that profession of faith, if they said that Caesar is number one in my life, he is the, the king you know, of my life, he is the God that I worship, they would be issued a paper with their name on it and it would make them exempt. Um, it would make them exempt uh, and, and, and it would be officially accepted. But of course, Christians, they wouldn't sign that paper. They wouldn't make that statement, and so all you needed to do was to report that family or report that individual, and what would happen was the authorities would come in, and you would be in danger of losing your home, your job, all your worldly possessions, emptying your bank account. Everything that you had would be be at stake, and that is what was happening to Christians. In fact, The pastor of the church in Smyrna was a guy by the name of Polycarp. We have many of his writings still. And in 155 um, AD, Polycarp was actually a disciple of John who wrote this letter. Uh, Polycarp was made to go to the temple of Caesar where he would not swear allegiance and he would not bow down and worship to Caesar. And so what happened? He was taken out of the city, he was tied to a stake, and he was burned to death. So this is a very real thing. This is a very real persecution that Jesus is talking to the church about. John says this, he says they are Jews but they are not. They are a synagogue of Satan. And the reason he says that is because a true Jewish person would carefully think through the claims of Christ, the messianic claims of Jesus Christ, and be open to the possibility that Jesus may be the Messiah. Also, a true Jewish person who is following Yahweh would never treat others in this way. So what Jesus is saying to them, he says, you are rich, even though some of you are completely destitute, some of you are living in poverty, So what does he mean by that? He meant that they were rich in forgiveness, rich in love, rich in grace, rich in fellowship, rich in friendship with God, rich in the salvation that they had in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said it may look like economic poverty, but spiritually you have the riches of Smyrna, and you possess the riches of God in your life. So let me ask you a question. Would you rather be spiritually poor or economically rich? Would you rather be spiritually poor or would you rather be economically rich? Or, as the people of Smyrna, the choice that they made was that they would be economically poor but spiritually rich, and I know there's always someone who's gonna say, well, actually, I'd like to be both. You know, I'd like to be spiritually rich and economically rich. Understand, or or maybe I should ask you another question. Can you love God and love money at the same time? Can you worship both and go hard after both and hold them both in highest esteem as the Lord of your lives? No, absolutely not. Jesus taught you cannot love God and money. You must make a choice. Choose one or the other. Would you rather be popular or would you rather be found in God's presence? Rich in Christ or financially rich? What would you choose? Well, probably if you were listening to a TV Certain kind of TV preacher at this point in the sermon, they would say something like, um, "Well, now you know things are about to turn, and your you know your your scars are going to turn into stars, and your you know your the money and the peace and the joy and everything is about to follow." But that's not what Jesus says at this point. You know what Jesus says? Get ready, church, because things are actually going to get worse. Get ready, because things are actually gonna get worse, and this is what Jesus says. He says, behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. So be faithful unto death, and you will be given the crown of life, or I will give you the crown of life. So here's a command to overcome, and what Jesus says there is it's gonna get worse. You are gonna be taken and thrown into prison and you are gonna be tested. But here is how you face that persecution. Here is how you overcome that tribulation. Understand this, Jesus is not gonna remove them from their suffering. He's gonna bring them through it and he's gonna be with them in it. They are gonna suffer 10 days, Jesus said. Now the 10 days refers to Daniel chapter one when Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were given a choice. They were given food by the king and many people uh, which they refused to eat for 10 days. And many people said that's because the food was sacrificed to idols and because they didn't want to compromise their belief system and their faith and their trust in God by, by being a part of, <clears throat> of occult worship they said, no, they wouldn't eat it. And when they said, no, they wouldn't eat it, and they refused the king, they became disobedient to the king of the land. And so the king of the land said, great, throw them in the fiery furnace then, and they will die for disobeying me. And Daniel, his friends, said, well, you know what? If the Lord, uh, uh, you know, if, if that is what the Lord's will is, then that is what we will do. But if the Lord will save us, then he will save us. And so uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they go walking into the fiery furnace, and who do they meet in the midst of the furnace? They meet the Lord Jesus Christ, who preserves them physically, and when the fire dies down and the doors are open to the fiery furnace, these guys walk out again, fully fit, healthy, and survived. Now I want you to understand that Jesus is gonna be with us in time of tribulation and of time of suffering, either as we go through it or as we are in it. I want you to understand, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they lived. Polycarp did not live. He died in his day of suffering. Here's the point. Jesus will see you through it, or he will go through it with you as he is in it. But your time of tribulation, your time of suffering, your time of difficulty, it will not last. It is only for a period of time, 10 days, is what Jesus is saying. It is a short period of time, and then it will be done. You see, when we don't sell out our faith, when we get through it, Jesus promises that we will receive something. He says, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. I will give you the crown of life. Now, I want you to understand not only is it warm in this room, but I want you to understand that uh, the crown of Smyrna was a well-known saying at the time of John's writing. You see, poets and politicians and and writers, they talked about the city of Smyrna and its people with adoring uh, admiration. And he and and they would call. There was a little phrase that they would use. You know, it was the crown of Smyrna. It's like, you know, I guess I've never been there, but I guess if you go to Hollywood where all of the beautiful people are, where they live in their beautiful homes and they drive their beautiful cars and they have their beautiful children. It is the place of beauty. It is the the crown of Smyrna, a beautiful city, a beautiful people where everything is absolutely spectacular. That was a phrase that was used over and over again and was well known um, in Asia at that time. The crown of Smyrna, the people of the city were described in that way as people of exceptional beauty and wealth. So Jesus says this. He says, listen, you who are known as the crown of Smyrna, your city, your people are known as the crown of Smyrna, but I will promise you the crown of life, eternal life, a crown that you will receive Because you have been faithful to me and you've chosen to be faithful even unto the point of death. And he's encouraging them. He's specifically contrasting the crown of Smyrna and the crown of life. And you know what he's doing? He's commending them. And he's saying, listen, you have chosen the crown of life. You have chosen pursued uh, passionately obedience and faithfulness and you have suffered for it and you, and, and you have been hurt financially for it and your families have known persecution and guess what you have chosen the better thing so this is an amazing church this is a fantastic church this is the culture of the church but understand this this book is also written to us It's written to us. And I think what John is saying to us, what Jesus is saying to us through John is this. Understand, you have got to make a choice. You have got to make a choice between the crown of Smyrna or the crown of life. You have got to make a choice whether you are gonna buy into culture of the world or the culture of the Lord Jesus Christ whether you, where you are going to put your affections and your passion, is it going to be into your world, uh, into the world or in, in, into the world system? Or is it going to be into loving God, loving His people and the things of God? What choice will you make? What culture will you buy into? What crown will you receive? I think that is the choice that, that this letter, is giving to you and me, to each one of us. And here's the deal. This is what Jesus says in closing, because he wants to remove the sting of death from our lives, and he says this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. You see, in the Bible, there's two deaths. There's physical death, and then there's spiritual death. And the ones who trust in Jesus, yes, we will die physically, but we will never die spiritually, and we will always be with the Lord. So here's the deal what choice will you make? even ask yourself this question, what is it right now that takes me away from loving God? What is it right now that I am choosing that gets in the way of my love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and following him with my entire heart, mind, and soul? What is it? What is it? What hurts your testimony? What is it that is hurting the testimony of the Lord through his saints, either at work or in the neighborhood or in the family? What secret sins do you have that are robbing you from the blessing of God in your life and the fullness of God living in you and through you? Make a choice. Make a choice. Let us live fully in him. Let us pick up our cross. Let us follow him. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do you know what? Suffering is not for sellouts. Suffering is not for sellouts. Jesus promises that the sting of death would be removed from all, from all those who are faithful in following him, loving him, serving him, and living for him. And may that be the choice that we make this day. So let's just do a heart check. Let's just understand that, that there are times in our life where we get off track where we slide a bit, where we shift, where we where where, where the, the train gets off the tracker, you know, we get stuck in the mud in the side of the road. And and it happens to all of us, and it happens to everyone, but it's at that time, at that place, where we have to say to ourselves, now is the time to choose. And I will choose Christ. As for me and my house we will serve the Lord. And we look forward to all the blessing that comes from that and the riches both in this life spiritually and in the life to come as God rewards the faithfulness of his people. Listen, I hope that you are looking forward to August the 9th, to getting together, to celebrating. Uh, to being together uh, as a family, I'm getting tired of speaking to a camera. I want to see you guys again. and I'm so excited that we will be together again, spurring one another on, face to face, to live for the Lord of glory together. May God bless you, may He keep you. May His face smile upon you. May you know His love, His grace and mercy. during these days, And may you be a blessing to all those you meet. Amen. Have a great week, everybody.